Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. Good afternoon, Graham. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast. I'm really grateful to have you here. So... I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background because you are a very familiar name and face to the insurance industry. Uh, so do you want to introduce yourself? Never easy to introduce yourself, but hi, I'm Graham Trudgill. I'm the Executive Director at the British Insurance Brokers Association, BIBA. I oversee our public affairs activity with government uh, and that activity extends to regulators and other stakeholders and everything to do with our manifesto. I also oversee our technical department, which supports members on the, the real insurance issues, as well as our comms team, which then tell everyone about everything that we're doing. I sit on Bieber's main board uh, and help shape the direction of, of Bieber uh, and help prepare members for the future. So you're busy, it's safe to say. <laughs> yes, it, it certainly have to say I, I used to be an insurance broker uh, and that was busy. But coming here, I do feel like it's the, the centre of the insurance broking universe uh, and we get to hear about everything and know about everything and involved in everything. So it's a, a, a busy place, but a very exciting place to be. I can only imagine. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit about the Bieber Manifesto, about how you work, about what kind of issues you're seeing. Um, so I think it should be a really interesting uh, podcast. I wonder if we can start with the Bieber Manifesto. Talk to me about what it is and how it works. Well, it sets our annual agenda uh, for tackling member issues. So uh, my, my team here, the policy team and I, we do this mammoth bit of work researching all of the issues uh, to try and then get the balance right to, to take the member causes to, to government. So issues can range from the financial services bill, which we're dealing with at the moment, through to long term macro issues like ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance issues. So there's there's lots of things that go in the manifesto. It's our calling card with, with government. And we want to make sure that those members' views are being heard and listened to. So if there's some sort of a threat, like the extra costs on the FSCS, then we can talk to government about threats. If we want to promote something like signposting to insurance brokers, then we can include that in the manifesto. If there's an issue about a level playing field that's unfair for members, like when uh, travel insurance sold by travel agents wasn't FCA regulated, then we might put that in there. And that's a, a good story where we won that lobbying. Or it might talk about operational benefits that would help the sector. So some years ago, we lobbied to have electronic certificates of, of motor insurance because they, you had to still send paper ones in the post, which wasn't great in post strikes. And we lobbied to make them legal. And, and since we uh, did that, uh, people get something like... Um, uh, well, they get their instant certificates and I think it saved the industry over 10 million pounds and saved 10,000 trees a year as well. So there's there's lots of issues in the manifesto for lots of different reasons. Hence the fact that it's a mammoth task to put together. Yes, and, and I suppose there's lots of research that we have to do. Uh, so we at Bieber have a lot of different boards and committees. We have nearly uh, 20. So they could be from motor insurance to insurance standards to SME size brokers, international brokers, um, claims working group, all sorts of different committees. So we get a really lot of rich information from the members to to feed into the manifesto, but also 
um, Steve and I, our CEO, go out um, on a, like a, a town hall thing where we, we we call it the tour of the regions, where we go out to Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, all the main uh, areas in the UK to really see, you know, what's on members' agenda, what are they worried about, and then we can really um, feed those points into the manifesto uh, and make sure that we've got, I would say, sort of calls for action or commitments that we make. We don't just put things in there to moan about them. We actually really want to to meet the relevant people and try and find a path forward that, that works for everybody. So in terms of putting the manifesto together, you're you're really looking at every different aspect from uh, conversations right through to all of the different trade bodies and getting involved there. It's huge. Must take you a year just to do it. Uh, yeah, well, that's why we, we have it. It's an annual manifesto. Unlike political parties, we do renew it. We completely refresh it. I literally start from scratch every year uh, with a blank piece of paper. Um, but we so every January we launch it in Westminster in usually in the Houses of Parliament. And uh, we usually get the insurance minister to, to launch it or someone senior like the chair of the Treasury Select Committee. Um, and then we we send out copies sometimes virtually to because we're mindful of too much paper being used uh, to the relevant target audience. So it, it is, you know, members of the Treasury Select Committee, members of the EFRA Select Committee, um, regulators, ministers, um, whoever's relevant to us. We do a lot of work with charities um, where our members can, can help plug into them. So the manifesto kicks off our annual contact program for the whole year ahead uh, and just sets all those those meetings running so that we can take the issues uh, forward with us. So it's it's a really good uh, way of, of getting things moving for brokers. And um, I, I know the committees and the boards are numerous. Can you give me an example of just a few? Well, um, the technical committees, we have motor, property, liability and accident and cyber. And then within those, we have things like business interruption and trade credit subgroups. We have cyber insurance. Uh, sorry, or well, cyber is, is, a, is, a, is a committee that's creating a new guide for members. Um, so that's particularly helpful. Then we have the regional brokers. So all around the UK, we have sort of a dozen or so regions who all have their own different uh, regional committee. So our Northern Ireland or Scottish members may have very different devolved government issues that they want to raise with us. We have uh, our National Young Broker Committee, which is really exciting. We've got young broker ambassadors all around the UK. And we want to make sure that you know, new people are coming into the industry because we had so many people leave during COVID that, um, that they can help us go into universities and colleges and schools, have a great presentation, tell the, the exciting story about working in insurance broking, how you could be dealing with, with risk, with sales, with IT, with HR, uh, in management. You, you can move around in a broker and there's lots of opportunities. So our Young Broker Committee is fabulous. We also have our Insurance Broker Standards Committee which is actually chaired by Jane Kilty, who won our Young Broker Award many, many years ago, and she's now doing fabulously at Aon. And the IBSC looks at um, good practice. It's got a whole good practice guide. It looks at standards across, across the industry. So things like long-term agreements, transfers of agency, all those issues tend to appear in the IBSC committee. But we also have IT committees, partner insurers, networks, uh, a really one, important one on access to insurance, which helps um, charities and other groups, um, disabled people find insurance more easily. And we've got four 
signposting agreements that we have with government, which is all about helping those people that couldn't find the insurance they wanted uh, to, to get to the ultimate cover so they can go on that important holiday, which might be their last holiday if they've got a very serious medical condition and they've been unable to find cover, we've got members who can genuinely help uh, make those trips possible. So, uh, so yeah, lots of, lots of committees, lots of advisory boards and working groups. And that's the heart of Beaver in my view. It just means we we're able to, to help uh, brokers and brokers customers and government uh, with so many issues uh, where where needed. Absolutely. Although I can imagine lots of meetings and um, a very, very large brain required on your part and Steve's part and the, the, the Bieber team. Well, we have, we have a great team here, actually. You know, they really are dedicated to the cause. Uh, they work all hours. So, so we're very, very lucky. Fabulous. So, so tell me, so you launched the manifesto in January uh, at Westminster. Um, what happens next? Well, I think once we once we, we launch it, we put it out there, we um, meet with all the different stakeholders and then we, then we take things forward. So we, we try to match the government narrative of the day. So if it's growth, then we try to make lots of the manifesto themed around growth uh, so that we're, we're working collaboratively. It's for us, it's it's all about partnerships and how you can progress those partnerships to achieve those ultimate aims. Uh, that we want for our members. Our members only want to, to do their best for their customers. So it's in everyone's interest to work collaboratively. So that's why we drill down on these calls for action or uh, or the commitments that we want to make uh, in trying to, to make things better for people. And if you look at some of the, the big issues we've, we've had this year, we've got, we called, we've been calling for the last four years um, of manifestos for the regulator to have a new growth and competitiveness objective because the FSA, before it came the FCA, had when they wrote new rules, they had to consider you know, how they would affect growth and competitiveness. And so we feel that since the FCA came into force, there's been very, very little of that. And the rules have been, uh, you know, a lot of them, and they've been very onerous, like the fair value assessments that we've seen recently. And so what we want is proportionate regulation, uh, well balanced, recognising that insurance brokers are very low risk. We're not banks, and we don't have a systemic risk for, for clients. And yet the, the regulation we've been facing has been enormous. So this bill that we've been calling on for, for the last four years was announced in May in the Queen's speech, and the bill has been laid. It's had its second reading. And so, for example, we've just been at the Labour Party conference or at the Conservative Parties uh, next week, and we'll be going through um, some of the changes you want to the bill. You know, to want to make sure the FCA are held to account and can actually prove that all the proposals that they have have taken into consideration growth and competitiveness, for example. So there's there's key issues in the manifesto which we want to take all the way through the journey of the bill uh, until it becomes an act and then uh, hopefully we'll get what members want. And another massive issue uh, that we've had in, in the manifesto for some time now is reform of the financial services compensation scheme. So all insurance brokers, all of financial services pay into this, but everyone tends to have their own class that they pay into. So we pay into our general insurance distribution class, but if the class, if your own pot, so to speak, is exceeded, it goes into an overarching retail pool. Now, insurance brokers have never exceeded their pot, but 
the life distribution and investment intermediaries have exceeded it four times out of the last five years, which means we've been paying into that pot and we're completely innocent. And I think we've had to pay 52% of that pot from insurance brokers. So it's been an enormous cost. It's been fundamentally unfair. And my view on it is that the polluter should pay. Now, we met with Sheldon Mills. We've put He's the executive director at the FCA responsible for insurance. Uh, and we've put that case to him. I would hope that they think we're making a fair point. Certainly, we've been um, very vocal on the amounts members have had to pay, and we're really pleased that the FCA reduced the call on our, on our sector from £68 million to £5 million this year. So uh, that's good progress, but per we need a permanent change to the funding model. So we've partnered with Auxera, who were there at the very start of the FSCS and helped create the system and we've we've put some alternative models to the FCA and the FSCS where we think it could be fairer and that polluter does pay. So uh, so with the manifesto, it's not just a question of um, putting an issue in there. It's going and then doing some research, some modelling with Oxera, having the meetings, calling for a consultation, feeding into the consultation, meeting with the hierarchy and the C-suites of the FCA, the FSCS and trying to get the changes that that brokers need. These aren't um, overnight um, years in the making, as you've just said. How does it affect you when we are living in quite turbulent times in terms of uh, politics, uh, Prime Minister, uh, even the wider global politics that are that are going on at the moment? How how does that affect you guys at Bieber? Well, there are always things that aren't planned in the manifesto, like COVID-19 was absolutely enormous for... Uh, for us, uh, we had to work very closely with members, with the FCA, with insurance companies. We we created a, a COVID hub for members. We um, we had to meet with different insurance companies and the ABI to say, look, there's things on unoccupied properties which just some of the clauses we can't ask members to, or customers to comply with. They can't go and inspect a property every seven days because you've been told to stay indoors. And the insurers were great in cooperating. Uh, waiving some clauses. We we needed the government to come in and bring in some COVID intervention. So things on live events where they would be uh, effectively the, the reinsurer uh, if there was a cancellation due to, to COVID due to a government lockdown. They came in on TV and film so that productions could still take place. They came in to ensure the designating sorry designated settings at care homes, uh, where people were sent back from hospital to from hospital to the care home after having COVID. Now you can imagine why an insurer doesn't really want to cover that for COVID risk. So there were there's all sorts of things that happen in the year which are never expected, and certainly a lot uh, uh, a lot of uh, elections. I think I've met five prime ministers since I've been at Bieber, uh, and eleven insurance ministers, and of course. Those changes continually happen. We have to adapt. So we build strong relations with the, the Treasury insurance team and all the government departments that were relevant to us because the, the teams then tend to uh, stay there uh, more long term. There's more longevity. Um, you get to meet uh, the new ones as they come in and, and then sort of train them up in the, the ways of Beaver. Uh, in fact, we've got another one tomorrow that from Treasury that we're going to be sort of training up, so to speak. So they understand the sector. And then 
it doesn't matter so much if the ministers move around because you're still speaking day to day to the senior treasury insurance team. So it's a lot of it is about relationships. And I think insurance broking is about relationships, uh, but also our work uh, with all the stakeholders, with the regulator, with the government departments is is about relationships so they can understand where we're coming from. You know, we are agent of the client. We do ultimately have the same aims together. So, um, so I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of that on on relationships, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I can't. It's it's easy when some of the changes are quite hefty changes in direction that are happening globally from a political standpoint. So, um, hats off to you. Just remembering who's who and what the. The, the moment of the day is um, you, you've mentioned a couple of the if I was to, to ask for your top three three issues this year you've mentioned a couple of them um, what about flooding flooding is a big part of our manifesto you're right and it has been for a long time and we've had some really good progress this year I think there's four main issues that we've been working on one was to have a flood insurance directory because Back um, a few years ago, there were some really serious floods in Doncaster and the government asked um, for an independent review and Amanda Blanc, before she joined Aviva, was asked to lead that review and she did a, a fabulous job and she was able to identify some of the key issues. So, for example, some people had home insurance, but they it had the flood cover excluded from the home insurance. But of course, we've got members that would have been able to provide that cover. So one of Amanda's recommendations to DEFRA the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs within government was that uh, a new signposting service should be created with Bieber in the ABI and then we could identify those members that can help people with their necessary flood cover uh, if they live in a flood zone and then we can uh, sort of we act like a bit of a dating agency and you know, we, we, we take we could take the inquiry from the client match it with a relevant firm uh, that's been vetted so that could be a, a broker or an insurer and then uh, they can obviously get the cover from perhaps a flood resource provider or maybe if the property is um, built since 2009 a non-flood re provider so the directory is um, is now launched government approved Amanda's uh, recommendations uh, asked Beaver and the ABI and flood re to to work together to build the directory it's done it's out there and it's already helped thousands of people so we're delighted with that the second point I would say on floods was about building properties in flood zone areas. So for many years, members have said this is madness. You know, we these properties aren't eligible for flood because they're new. They're being flooded. The guidelines really have to be tightened. So we were really delighted uh, that um, following lots and lots of meetings uh, with DEFRA um, that uh, most recently, government did announce that they were giving new guidelines, tightening those guidelines, and really the home has to be um, sort of safer for a lifetime from floods. So hopefully there'll be some really good progress uh, once all the local authorities have worked through all of that. Um, the third thing, if I can remember, was about first loss flood. So um, we, we launched a commercial scheme for flood insurance uh, a few years ago because um, only domestic properties are eligible for flood re. So SMEs still need help to get flood insurance cover. So we launched a scheme in partnership with the Federation of Small Business. It was very successful, but what we needed was something even more niche, offering uh, cheaper products for the, the, the small hairdressers, the small restaurants in high streets that, that perhaps couldn't afford to buy the big commercial package. So uh, with our scheme provider, uh, my commercial, we put together 
with them uh, a first loss scheme. So perhaps the first 25 or 50,000 pounds of cover, um, which would represent a typical flood, um, could be bought for a, a lower premium. So that's been launched. That's really good news. That's happened. And then I think um, the last thing I mentioned on flood is something that's been in our manifesto for a little while. And that was that Floodry uh, wasn't allowed to build back better. So they couldn't, um, the way the model was built and the legislation was built, uh, you couldn't repair in a, in a, in a different way. Um, and so we lobbied um, to, to allow that. Floodry were keen to do that. And now the legislation went through this year. So, uh, and some really good leading insurers have signed up to that. So the likes of Aviva and LV and Aegeus, um, where they use Floodry, they can allow those properties to be built back in a different way, in a more resilient to, to flooding way. So uh, you could have a, a different flooring, a hard flooring, the uh, plug sockets for the electrics higher up the wall, different types of plasterboard that's more water resilient. So so that's fabulous that that's come forward as well. So so flooding is a, is a massive um, issue for uh, for this country. Many of our our cities and towns are, are built on uh, rivers, and we have you know we're an island as well. So so really, really pleased that um, the flooding parts of the manifesto have made such good progress. Absolutely. It sounds like a, a huge amount of work has gone into that. Um, from from the sort of the, the next perspective, what kind of things are the members tick flood? What, what, what are the challenges for members now? Um, without a doubt, the largest challenge at the moment is multi-occupancy buildings that have cladding. So you've um, you've probably seen in the news, as most people would have done, that you know the the leaseholders have had to pay a lot more for their insurance premiums ever since Grenfell. It was quite clear that if there was a fire, the buildings weren't as safe as everyone in the industry thought they were, and rather than perhaps one or two floors having serious damage, the whole building was actually at risk. So premiums increased significantly. And uh, the government, uh, Bieber, the ABI, the FCA have been working together to try and find a, a path through to make these insurances more affordable. So one one good bit of progress that's happened very recently that we've been lobbying on for, for a couple of years is to do with the professional indemnity insurance for the fire engineers. So those fire engineers do the uh, the survey work on the cladded building to see what remediation work needs to be done to make the building safe but of course getting PI insurance was really hard for them and there was effectively market failure so we asked government for an intervention as we had done with Covid they agreed and with the help of one of our members they put together a scheme so that fire engineers working on these cladded buildings and what you call the EWS1 work, the external safety work for buildings over 18 metres can now get the cover from government. So that's really good progress. But of course, there's other issues as well. It's about leaseholders having more transparency uh, on the ultimate premium and how it's arranged, which we, we fully support. Um, and it's um, it's about a pooling solution. So how can the industry work together to get more competitive premiums for these buildings? Because I think in the past, if there was a £100 million building, you've probably got a leading insurer pick that up on its own. But now that, that same insurer will probably want the first, say, £10 million. And then uh, we've been working really closely with our real estate brokers to get programmes together for co-insurance and reinsurance layers to try and get up to the full £100 million. But of course, all those different 
providers, complex reinsurance programs add in more premium. And that's you know another one of the reasons for these premiums costing more. So we've been working really closely um, with, as I say, the ABI and, and government and others and our members to try and get a more competitive way of doing this so that we can get more affordable premiums. So um, it, we're right in the thick of that. We're really hopeful to make some good progress. We absolutely appreciate the pressure leaseholders are under and we want to do our very best to, to try and help them. It sounds like you're doing some incredible work. Presumably this you, you would imagine that, that will this issue will be in the 2023 manifesto. What other um things do you think might be included at this stage? I appreciate things things change a lot in current climates. Well, the big reveal will be in January um, and we've got a lot of the regional tours still to go. But at the moment, I would say one of the other issues that brokers uh, talk about a lot, uh, that's not an insurance issue because there's always issues about the, you know, the hard market, insufficient take up of cyber insurance, things like that, under insurance uh, and no insurance at all because of the cost of living and the cost of doing business for SMEs. Um, there's a lot of people just not taking uh, the, the the cover that we would like them to take. But uh, the, the non-insurance issue, I would say, is recruitment, getting talent into the industry. Um, I think something like 600,000 over 50s have left um, the, the jobs workplace uh, since COVID came in. And many of those would work in the insurance industry. We've said goodbye to a lot of good people. And so this is where we want our Young Broker Committee to, to help us and to really um, get into action and explain to those young people leaving school or college or university why coming to the insurance industry is a, is a fantastic career for them, offering all sorts of opportunities. And our Manchester region have been a real trailblazer on this. They've put a presentation together. They've already been to uh, a dozen or so schools, colleges and unis. And we want to try and roll that out across the, the regions of the UK and encourage as many people into the industry as possible. Because, um, it, it, you know, we, we, we note that, it, you know, there's a lot of move to... Um, electronic trading and things like that, but you can never have enough qualified, skilled, keen, bright young people in the industry uh, to secure the, the future of the industry. So that, I think that's an exciting part of, of what we'll be doing next year, amongst the many other uh, insurance issues. I shall uh, look forward to the big reveal in January. Um, question for you, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times and COVID took us all by surprise and wiped the floor with uh, the world, essentially. Things like that arise, touch all the wood, things like that don't arise too often. But what about the challenges that arise during the year uh, that obviously haven't been included in the manifesto? Well, we, we deal with them as they come along. And there's always the case that the regulator will you know, start a piece of work um, or conclude a piece of work. And there'll all of a sudden be a lot of things that, that members have to do. And things like the fair value assessments has been an absolute mountain of work for members. So with that, what we did is we got all the other leading trade bodies uh, together around a table. There's a lot of collaboration to put together a, a single form that uh, could be used uh, to help basically 
um, you know, act as the, the, the form for the insurers that they would need to work with the brokers to evidence the fair value assessment. So rather than, you know, hundreds of insurers create hundreds of different forms, which then brokers have to then interpret, then there could be that, that one form. So we created that. Uh, David and our regulation team and Vanessa uh, led that great piece of work. And so we're encouraging everyone to use that. So anyone listening to this, brokers or insurers, please use that form, because if you think about it, even a small broker, they probably deal with, say, you know, 20, 20 insurers at least. And those, each of those insurers, the broker probably deals with about 20 different products from, uh, you know, office to motor to liability, etc. So that's 400 uh, fair value assessments, if my math is right, that they would have to do. And then the larger brokers, we've been speaking to the larger brokers as well, they're, they're suffering just as much with this. They've got uh, some of them nearly 3,000 fair value assessments to do. So it's a huge pressure. So we try to do our bit to help operate, uh, operationalize this. We lobbied for a delay. We got the three month delay for the distributors. Uh, and so I think we have to be able to react quickly uh, to things like that to try and help as much as, as we can. And when we also try to put guidance together as well. So um, where there aren't um, you know, issues that are coming to the fore, like under insurance or, or no insurance, then we worked with partners like Allianz to put together uh, a joint guide on under insurance for members so they can flag particular issues and concerns with their clients, explain why they might need a two year indemnity period on their BI and not one year. Um, but also we put together a valuations guide with Questgate, um, the, the loss adjusting firm who do the Bieber valuation scheme, because one of the things that became very clear to us uh, when we were looking at the manifesto a year ago with Scylla was that under insurance is is twice as bad as it was uh, a couple of years ago. And the statistics are, are really quite worrying. So by getting valuations done on a regular basis, we can you know, avoid those situations of, you know, average during a claim. Um, we all want to make sure the clients have a really good claims experience. That's why we're here. Uh, we want them to be able to carry on in business with the right uh, values at stake. So so I think we, we try to put together guidance when things comes along, uh, when things happen uh, and respond accordingly. Are these um, and uh, pro forma forms that you've developed, are they publicly available? Can I put the links to them in the show notes? So anybody listening that thinks I'd like to have a look can? I think most of them will be. They're all on the Bieber website. Um, so you can have a look on there. Um, a couple of them might require a password, but Bieber members should be able to access them through that. Absolutely amazing. Right, last question for you, Graham, because I've taken up a lot of your time and I've just heard how incredibly busy you are. Um, People listening to the podcast that are not a member of Biba, why should they become members if the last half an hour hasn't given you enough reason? I think, uh, well, Biba's here, you know, purely um, uh, to serve their members. And so for us, um, you know, we're a trade association. We're here to help members trade so we can give guidance uh, to members when they're not sure of something so particularly with the fca things coming out as, as thick and fast as they do we've got a great team here who can give members you know particular guidance on that we also do compliance forums all around the uk so we get out into the regions or we do them online as well if you um, want to just log in we can't get away from your desk so you can log in at that so i think the compliance support we, the, the representation we do with government is so important. Someone has to be the voice of insurance brokers, and that's us. And we like to think that 
with the, the committees and the hundreds of brokers that are involved as volunteers with Bieber, um, we have the right issues, the right understanding to take those forward to government. As I say, with all our committees um, and advisory boards, um, they get, those committees have guests come to them. So we have the FCA, we have the Department of Transport, the Ombudsman, all sorts of external people come in, gives brokers a chance to engage with them so you don't just join join in i would say is the main thing um, we have schemes and facilities where um, i know it's really difficult for brokers to get new agents who is with insurers so um, the benefit of the schemes and facilities is that you have no minimum levels of support if you only want to place uh, one product with that particular scheme maybe it's the event scheme say then that's absolutely fine and there's no minimum requirement so so we've got about 30 uh, different schemes and facilities nearly 40 actually that you can use which gives you agencies we've also got a professional indemnity insurance initiative because i know it's been really difficult for people um for firms to get some some pi cover and with covid cover as the market was super hard for insurance brokers so we have that and lots of guidance uh, around that as well now i could go on with a never-ending list but i'm not going to do a sales job but we do also have the clearly the the, the biggest and best insurance broking conference uh, there could possibly be uh, so that's um you know that, that provides great networking opportunities as well so um so that's another reason to, to come along and be a part of the Bieber family and we will certainly put the Viva membership uh, uh, link in the website. So if you're thinking about it, you can have a, a little look for yourself. Um, Graham, I've really enjoyed uh, chatting to you and have learned an awful lot and might even read the Bieber manifesto in January. Um, so if you fancy coming on a podcast post Westminster launch to, to talk about it, I'd be delighted. And I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you. We'd love to talk about the new manifesto uh, when it's ready. So great to talk to you, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me on. Anytime. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullus Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.